Okay, we're going to turn to the Bible now, if you'd like to turn to Isaiah. And uh, it's been, a, I, I hope you've enjoyed the, the series in Isaiah. Edward and I certainly have, and our guest speakers that we've had occasionally. Um, but we're into chapter 56 and uh, 57. Isaiah is, amazing. I mean, I, I, I'm just, uh, again, always amazed when I read through Isaiah. Just this amazing man of God who heard so clearly from God in so many ways. Lived, uh, became a prophet about 740 BC and uh, brings the message of uh, God's amazing grace. Talks of the greatness of God. He sees that vision of God on the throne when he's called to be a prophet. Uh, In fact, John in chapter 12 of his gospel says that Isaiah saw Jesus on the throne. And uh, Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah, about Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant, talks of the Holy Spirit and the new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to pick up in chapter 56. It's quite a long reading, uh, but you'll bear with me as we go through. And in my Bible, uh, verse 9 comes with a heading, God's accusation against the wicked. Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour, all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and they seek their own gain. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer and tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. The righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. But you, come here, You children of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes, who are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks, and under every spreading tree you sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. Indeed, they are your lot. Yes, to them you have poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In view of all this, should I relent? You have made your bed on on a high and lofty hill. There you went to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorposts, you have put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love. You looked with lust on their naked bodies. You went to Moloch with olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the very realm of the dead. You wearied yourself by such going about. But you would not say it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared 
that you have not been true to me, that neither rem- and have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart. Is it not because I have been long silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away, but whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry. For then they would faint because of me, the very people I've created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. That's one of the reasons why we'd never preach through Isaiah. <laughs> and uh, when Edward said, oh, I'm away, um, I thought, brilliant. What, a, what an amazing passage. And there is so much of uh, goodness in there. We're going to look at it shortly. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Isaiah's prophecy. And just in these few moments that we have to, to think about this passage. Help me as I, as I speak and help us all to hear what your Holy Spirit would say, would want us to hear from this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know anyone with a second home? You don't have to put your hands up or shout out. Um, normally... In my experience, those I know who have second homes, uh, it's normally a holiday home or a bolt hole, and uh, it's really a blessing. In this amazing passage in Isaiah, we have Isaiah seeing God's second home in a way. Bear with me. But he doesn't use it as a bolt hole. And it's not a holiday home. Because he is God, he resides in both at the very same time. Everybody in the time of Isaiah would or should have known where God lived. 
He had his home in heaven. And even though they talked a lot about his presence being in the temple, and especially the Holy of Holies, they knew that King Solomon, at the dedication of the temple, had said, will God really live on earth? The maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens cannot contain him. How much this temple I have built. And in that dedication, Solomon repeats this sentiment eight times to reinforce that principle. And even as he opened the temple in Jerusalem as kind of God's second home, Solomon confessed that it could never rival his first home. But in the midst of this passage, the Lord proclaims, and through Isaiah he sees something amazing. That the prophet declares that he sees in that key verse in chapter 57, verse 15. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever and ever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. I'm going to read that again because it's so amazing. This is what the high and exalted one says, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And in that amazing way, this prophet who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, declares this amazing truth that God is committed to living in two homes. He is both transcendent and other. We see that in Isaiah's vision of uh, the throne of God when, when he is just undone and he just falls because he knows he's a sinful man. And he knows how holy God is. Totally other, holy, 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 perfect in holiness. Yet here we have this amazing verse. He says he will dwell with the contrite and lowly. In verse 13 he says, whoever takes refuge in me. He delights, he loves, he is attracted to that humility, that repentance. We know from Hebrews 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yet we have this amazing prophecy. Anyone who is willing to confess their trust, their faith, their weakness, their sinfulness. The prophet sees that God will make his home with them. It points forward to Revelation 21. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And in this new temple, there's no inner rooms, outer rooms, no separation, no curtain. There is immediate presence of the Lord. I don't know if you reflect on this often, just the amazing fact that if you're a believer in Christ, God lives in you by his Holy Spirit, almighty God, who is exalted, creator of heaven and earth, has chosen you to live in.
fulfills that promise of the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, when um, prophesies about Pentecost. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We know that the physical temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans and never to be rebuilt. And Jesus is the temple, the very presence of God. And Paul takes up that theme in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Have we got that one as well? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Don't you know that you are God's temple? Having God... So close, so personal, is so wonderful, but it also spells danger. The blood of Jesus, as we come to know Jesus and receive his love and forgiveness, cleanses us of all sin. All sin. All the sins I've ever committed, all the sins I'm committed now, all the sins I will commit, he has cleansed me. But it doesn't make God tolerant of sin. So we're going back to the beginning, the hard bit that we read at the beginning. Chapter 56, verse 9, it doesn't begin well, does it? There's a very different tone. It sounds more like the book of judgment that we worked our way through in chapters 1 to 39 than the book of comfort, which normally is chapters 40 to 66. By Isaiah is prophesying into the evil and wicked days of King Manasseh. And if you read about him in 2 Kings 21 and surrounding passages, it says Manasseh did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he also led many of his people astray. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then there's the description of the people of God. Israel's watchmen are blind. You know what watchmen do, don't you? They look out. And God says they're blind. The guard dogs, what do they do? They're mute. Blind watchmen. Idle dreamers, money grabbers, greedy guzzlers, complacent drunkards. And Manasseh slaughtered many, many righteous ones. As we read, he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. They were terrible days. Persecution. And then there's that interesting verse In chapter 57, verse 1, I don't know if you picked it up when we were reading it through. The righteous perish. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Did you pick that up? 
in one sense, they were fast-tracked into heaven, spared the suffering of such evil days. And this judgment goes on in 57 verses 3 to 13. The people still claimed to be following God during these days. Yet the Lord sees right through their pretense and he calls them children of a sorceress because they turn to idolatry and witchcraft, offspring of adulterers and prostitutes and liars. They had followed their evil king into all sorts of witchcraft, immorality, idolatry, and even child sacrifice. One of the things I was reading about Burkino Faso, um, just as I was reading the news, I turned to my um, Operation World book that I have to read about countries, is how much the occult has taken root in Burkino Faso. Uh, and it's mixed in with religion and, and all sorts of things. Uh, and there's just despair among the people. And when, when occultic things take root in a place, evil runs riot. And that's what had happened here. Even with the people of God. They'd followed their evil king into all sorts of witchcraft, even child sacrifice. And the Lord asks them this question, Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have forsaken me? Is it because I'd been long silent that you have gone away? They'd lost all fear of the Lord. And Isaiah reminds them that God is holier than they think. God is sterner than they think. God is stronger than they think. And that we cannot serve two masters. Jesus was very clear about that. And there is a choice to be made. People in Isaiah's day had a choice. People today have a choice. That there will be no peace for the wicked. But whoever takes refuge in me, says the Lord, will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. As well as being holier and sterner and stronger, God is also more loving than we think. He is more gracious than we think. He is more forgiving than we think. And later on in the passage, he turns to those who would trust in him. The Lord's promise to the humble, the contrite, the repentant. He will live with them. And we see in that, that promise of the Holy Spirit that will be fulfilled. He promises peace for those who are his. But there is the warning that there will be no peace for the wicked. And in a few moments, we're going to respond again in worship. And real worship comes from that covenanted heart, a repentant, thankful heart. And those of us who have made a decision to follow Christ to trust in him, have that real assurance because of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that we are with God and we will be with him for eternity. So as we gather tonight, 
in this place as followers of Jesus, as those who have inherited the promises that Isaiah just saw from a distance. We come with open hearts and open arms. Acknowledging that we are exiles and pilgrims. This earth is my second home. It's my bolt hole. It's not my real home. I'm looking forward to my real home. New heaven. New earth. In the very presence of God. Then will we be truly, fully home. And God's will will be truly, fully done. And his kingdom will have come on earth. As it is in heaven. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite Alan to come back as leaders in our time of worship.